Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, amen. Finally getting a little bit of rain. I, uh, <laughs> I was saying good morning to Brother Ospa and Brother Holmes and Brother Ospa said that Brother Jen told him we had six inches of rain hitting six inches apart on the windshield. <laughs> I guess I guess I'll start getting concerned when the when the drops get a little bit closer. But I told him I didn't know what I was gonna do with all this rain that we're seeing right now. So but uh praise the Lord we made it. We don't know really know what to do when we see weather like this in Southern California, but praise the Lord we're here this morning. Amen. Isn't God good today? And then God good this morning. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be reading out of Psalms 23 this morning and um, try and piggyback off of what Pastor had talked about last Sunday where we had a great move of the Lord. If you all can turn to Psalm 23, and man, we'll, we'll read from there starting at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, I ask that you just be with us here in this place, Lord. Lord, begin to move over me, Jesus. Begin to work through me this morning to deliver a word unto your people. God, I pray that you bless each and every one of us here in this place. Open our minds and our hearts to receive your word this morning, and we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I guess if I was to give this a title this morning, I would call it, What is Your Testimony? What is your testimony? You see, Psalms 23, in essence, is David's testimony. We, we believe that this was written later in his life as he began to reflect back on his life. He began to give a testimony of what God is to him, who God is, what God has done, and where he is going. And so this morning I want to ask you, who is God to you this morning? What has God done for you this morning? And where are you going? The three questions, who, what, and where. And so we're going to dive into this a little bit this morning. You see, David, having lived the life of a shepherd, had the understanding of what a shepherd was and the importance of the shepherd to the flock of sheep. He starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. In the Hebrew, that is to say Yahweh Ra, which is to say the Lord and shepherd. So David is, is pointing out that God is his shepherd. That's who he recognized God was to him. That was his who. 
who is God to me? He said, God is my shepherd. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a long line of men of God who were shepherds, starting with Abraham. Abraham was a shepherd, right? He had flocks of sheep. He took care of his sheep. His son Isaac became a shepherd. Jacob, the son of uh, 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 the father of Israel, became a shepherd. And even Jacob says in Genesis 48, verse 15, when he's uh, blessing uh, Joseph and his children, he says, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did watch, did walk, the God which fed me all my life unto this day is a reference unto the idea of what the shepherd is. Even Jacob recognized in the very beginning that God was his shepherd. God was the one who fed him. God was the one who took care of him. God was the one that took care of him all of his days, as long as he lived. God was his shepherd. God was his protector. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In verse 14, he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. You see, there's a tone to what the shepherd is and who the shepherd is and what the shepherd does. You see, a shepherd has a deep sense of love for his flock. If he didn't, the shepherd would not leave those to go after the lost sheep. The shepherd didn't care about his flock. He would no longer worry about where they were getting their food, whether they were getting water, whether they were being taken care of. In the Hebrew, there's a unique term called ra-zon, which means lover of the flock. It teaches us that a shepherd was not just a responsible overseer, but a caring father figure over his flock. So it is no wonder that Jesus used the term shepherd when he talks about his sheep about his children, about us. Isaiah 40 and 11 says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, gather them in his bosom, and shall gently lead them and those that are with young. The bond between a shepherd and his flock has all the qualities of a true family. That's what David saw in God. When he looked at his past, and he began to look at my testimony. What could I tell people about my life and what God means to me? He begins to start off with Yahweh Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I don't know anything about sheep. I don't know anything about caring for sheep. So I began to dive into this a little bit and say, well, who is God to me? If I was to tell my testimony who is God to me? Because if we're going to have a testimony, we have to be able to first relate who God is to us personally. Because without that, we can't even begin to start a dialogue of a testimony with anybody in our lives. Because if they don't understand that you know who God is to you, they have no interest in your God. Amen? So we have to be able to start off with that. We have to say who God is. And so I've got a few scriptures here, and, and these are no-brainers. God is infinite, 1 Timothy 1 and 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is incomparable, 2 Samuel 7 and 22. What thou art, O Lord God, 
For there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that have heard with our ears. He is unchanging, Malachi 3 and 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God exists everywhere. Psalms 139, 7 through 12 tells us, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. God exists everywhere. God is all-knowing, great is our Lord, and of great power, according to Psalms 147 and 5. His understanding is infinite. Isaiah 40 and 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Power and authority. Ephesians 1, verse 21 says, Far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, the very name, uh, the every, the, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You see, those are kind of understanding things when we think about who God is. God is everywhere. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. We learn these as a kid. If you grow up in the church, some of the first things you get, you learn as a kid is God sees everything you do. God is everywhere. He knows everything. God hears everything, right? And so we, we begin to think about, about that. We can begin to, to try and, and figure out who God is, even at a young age, who is God. You know, I, I, I grew up Wondering how my father knew every time I got into trouble. It seemed my father had some experience with the all-knowing, all-understanding, knowing everything that his son was getting into and doing throughout the day. And he would simply tell me a little bird told me so, and I began to develop a little bit of a, a hate for birds in the neighborhood <laughs> because they continued to tattle on me and tell of the things, of the troubles, and the, the mischief I would get into. Why are these birds so mean to me? So I could say this morning that as I look at this, I see God today as my father. Jesus is a father unto me. I don't understand the shepherd that much. I've never lived the life of a shepherd. I can't understand it the way David did. But if I'm going to have my own testimony, if I'm going to be able to reach out to somebody and begin to tell them who God is to me, I would tell them God is like a father unto me because he knows everything that's going on in my life. He knows everywhere I go, everything I've done. He's there for me. And he goes beyond that. You see, God is merciful and loving. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, he shows compassion, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us 
in all our tribulation, that we may be able to com- we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God shows compassion unto me. Moreover, God is graceful unto me. God judges sin. Psalms 5 and 5, David talks about the way God will judge sin. But he also says in Psalms 130 and 4, God offers forgiveness. See, that's what a father does to his child. You know, when the child does something wrong, the father will reprove him. The father may punish him, give him a spanking. But the love for him, the compassion, the ability to forgive him of his trespass and say, I love you, child. Continue to move about in my house with grace. Ephesians 2 and 5 says, Even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. You see, we, we know who God is. Today, God is my Father. Today, I can say that God is the one who loves me, who forgives me, who cherishes me, right? Isn't that who God is to you this morning? You may have a little bit different idea of who God is, but you have to have an understanding of who God is today in order to reach somebody in this world, in order to have a testimony. Remember, what is your testimony? We're talking about David's testimony right now in Psalms 23. So David turns into the second part of the Psalms when he begins to describe what God has done for him. He says that God maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. Talks about God being a restorer, leading him in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. A protector, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is David reaching out, telling us what God has done for him. As he looked back at his life, every encounter that he had, leading up to the moment of his older age, right? When he finally felt like he had a little bit of peace in the kingdom. He's now king of not just Judah, but all of Israel. But it was a struggle. It wasn't easy. In the beginning, he had to face Goliath, right? He had to walk out into that valley of Elah and and face the giant, standing in the shadow of death and claim, God is with me. I don't fear you because I know who God is. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He goes on to say, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. You see, that was David's testimony of what God has done for him. When we begin to think about what God has done for us in our life, we begin to think about where we have been, where God has brought us from, Right? I mean, we're sitting here in church this morning. And if we look back in our past and begin to see where we were before we, became, we came to this church, where we were before God saved us, before God reached down and pulled us out of that miry pit and put us on a firm ground and began to guide our path, when we look at that, we began to develop a what. What has God done for me? This is the second most important part of your testimony because now that you've been able to explain who God is, you have to be able to explain what God has done for you. What has God done for you? You see, your testimony is so strong. 
People don't know your story when they meet you. They don't know. They see someone who looks put together, right? If they see me dressed like this, they're going to think somebody put together, right? If I go out afterwards, people will ask me, oh, are you coming from church? Yes, right? So, so people can recognize a difference in the way your outward appearance is, but they don't understand how you got there until you begin to tell them your story. Begin to tell them, like, you know what? I didn't always look like this, you know, but God, who is my father, who loved me and reached out to me and cared for me, and you begin to tell him your story. It may be that he moved on you and, and stopped drugs from your life. You may have been an alcoholic, and he took away that desire, that pit of alcoholism. It doesn't matter what it is. Everybody has a different testimony, but you have to be able to relate what God has done for you so that someone else has hope. You see, the purpose of a testimony is to give hope to somebody that they can make it through whatever situation they're going through in their life. That God can move in their situation too. That you are not somebody just pointed out special, right? That God will do it for anybody. He won't just do it for you, but he will do it for anybody as long as you can reach them, as long as you can begin to talk to them. You see, the scripture tells us that God is a God of peace and he is a God of the overcomer. Romans 12, uh, 16 and 20 says, And God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. John 16 and 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In Christ we have power and strength. Isaiah 40 and 29 says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth their strength. God is powerful. God is a God of peace. He wants to give you peace. The scripture tells us that we are not to fear. We have nothing to fear because God has given us the power of a sound mind, amen, and of love. God gives us everything we need to overcome. It doesn't mean there's not going to be moments of tribulation. John says it right here. In those worlds, you're going to face tribulation. You're going to face trying times. There are going to be times when you're afraid. You don't know where your, where your power is coming from. You don't know where your peace is coming from. But be not afraid because I have already overcome the world. Psalms 121, 1 and 2 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which has made heaven and earth. God is my help. That's what God has done for me. Anytime I've needed help, all I've had to do is cry out on the name of the Lord. All I've had to do is say, Jesus, I need you right now in my situation. I need you to be a part of my life right now. But you have to understand that when we think about this, and this is just a little nugget, something extra I won't charge for this morning. But when you think about this, because I was talking to Brother Krantz about this last week, and, and I, said, I said, you know, every time God has done something for me in my life, in my cry for him to reach out and be my help, in my mind, I vision exactly how that help is supposed to be, right? I envision, like, God, I need you in my life. This is what I need you to do. And in my mind, I, I envision exactly how that's going to come about, right? And it never comes out that way. 
the way he gets me through it is not the way I see it. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes it, you won't even realize it till it's over. It makes no sense whatsoever, right? Ask Gideon, how is he supposed to face 100,000 men with 300 people and, and some clay pots with lights inside of it, right? right? I mean, God tell him, okay, at the, at the time, I'm gonna, you're going to bust those and start blowing on trumpets, and, and I'll do the rest. It, it makes no sense. I am sure when Gideon finally accepted the call, in his mind, the envision he had was that God was going to provide Israel an army of 500,000 men, horses and chariots, and they were going to go down into the valley, and they were going to take the Midianites out. It was going to be no problem at all. I know he did not think, I'm going to be standing on the side of a hill with 300 men, clay pots, and some light bulbs in there. Right? I'm going to light some lanterns. We're going to put it in a pot. We're going to bust it and start screaming and blowing the trumpets, and they're just going to take care of themselves. We won't even have to worry. I, I guarantee you that was not in his mind at all. So when we think about God as our help, when we begin to pray and reach out and ask God to do something for us, just remember that what you envision is likely not ever going to happen. <laughs> but don't be dismayed. It doesn't mean God's not going to work. It doesn't mean that he's not your help. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you and he's not going to pull you through the situation. It just doesn't ever come out the way I think it should have worked out. Right? Just, it's just my mind. I, I don't understand his mind sometimes. And, uh, but praise the Lord, he always pulls through. We never have to worry about having joy or strength. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. We have nothing to fear, Isaiah 41 and 10 says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We have nothing to fear today. God is going to take care of us. God is my Father. He is the one who I go to. He's the one who I cry out to in a time of need. And what does he do? He takes care of it all. He takes care of me, provides peace. One of the best things, though, about what God does for me is God is a restorer. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked man shall fall into mischief. You see, we were never meant to stay down. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to fall short of his righteousness, right? I can't stand up here this morning and, and tell you that I've never sinned in my life, right? And I don't know if any of us are here, and I'm not going to ask for hands. I, I don't want to know that there's someone perfect among me, and I'm such a failure. Praise the Lord. I love you all this morning. I'm not picking on anybody, but I just want you to know that we are all falling short. All of us have fallen short. But God didn't intend for us to fall down and stay down and begin to cry and whine and say, why, why am I a failure? Why have I not been able to overcome this in my life? But no, he says you will rise up again because of my righteousness, not because of yours. Why? Because I'm your father and I love you. I don't want to see you laying there in the pit. I don't want to see you there on the ground. A righteous man falleth down seven times. But seven times he will rise up again. God is never meant for us to stay in sin. 
He is never meant for us to stay in a life of sin, but he is meant for us to always be restored. Just as the prodigal son came home to the father and the father embraced him, he didn't expect to be embraced, didn't expect to be loved by his father. He went knowing only one thing, if I could just be a servant in the house of my Lord. But you see, God was there with open arms and put the robe around him, gave him a ring, and said, my son who was dead is now alive. That's what a father does. That's what a father's love is all about. That's what a father will do for you. That's who God is to me this morning. He is someone who restores my life, restores my situation, gives me peace and understanding. So as we look at the final part of David's testimony, I just want to begin to talk about where are you going? What is your story? You see, the story or our testimony is going to be our single greatest word of outreach and uplift that we can give to anybody in our life. You think that that people look at you and, and see that as uplifting, but without your story, you can't uplift. Just the way you are is not good enough, but you have to have a testimony to be able to uplift those around you. Not just the lost and being able to reach the lost, but brothers and sisters being able to lift each other up. It is only by the word of a testimony can we lift each other up and begin to say, you're not alone. God loves you. This is what God's done for me. He can do it for you. Right? God's never left me alone. He has always done something for me. He will always do something for you. Don't be discouraged. I know it's not easy. The hardest thing to do is have encouragement in the moment of despair because we can only focus on that part that is causing pain and suffering. It's hard for us to focus on the, what comes after we go through it, which is why we grow. Honestly, God says, I'm not going to take away all your trials. I'm not going to take away all the temptation of this world. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that now the, the world will no longer be a part of your life, right? It's just not going to happen. You've got to go out there and live, be a part of it. We need to remember our testimony, but we also need to have a plan for the future. John 17, 17 and 18 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them also to the world. God saved us to be a testimony to the world. We were saved with a purpose. You see, God says, not only my father, not only am I going to do all these things for you, but I'm going to send you out into the world. I'm going to send you back to the place that I brought you from so that you could be a testimony unto the world, so that you can teach the world who I am, what I have done. Amen? That is a part of our future. Our future doesn't end just because we become saved, right? It's not over, right? We don't just get to come to church and sit here and hope God blesses us and go home and live life, right? God didn't save us for that purpose. God wants us to continue to come and continue to be blessed, but he sends us back out into the world so that we can testify to those around us, so that we can see people hurting 
and reach out to them and say, hey, let me tell you something. God can take away the pain. God can take away the despair. God can break every chain that surrounds you, every chain that is binding you. God can take it away. He can restore you just as he restored me. Revelations 12 and 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. We are overcome by the blood this morning. And he says, And by the word of their testimony. You see, the testimony is so strong and powerful. And we sit on it for the most part. How many people have we reached out to and told them what our story is, our testimony, right? How many times have we reached out to somebody and said, you know what God did for me? Let me tell you who God is, what God has done for me. You see, we have to have a vision for the future. David ended his testimony with the vision of the future. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You see, because he knows that what God has done and who God is, that he knows that goodness and mercy will be with him forever. And he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, he had a vision for the future. We have to have a vision for the future. We can't, have a, we can't just sit on a testimony, right? We can't just sit on a testimony. And I want to end with this. This is a saying. It has, it's an unknown who wrote it, but it is very powerful. A man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. If you don't have a vision for the future, you will end up falling back into the place you came from. You have to have a vision for the future. David said it's, it's not just good enough to say I know who God is. It's not just good enough to say what God has done for me, but I have to plan for my future. I have to have a vision of where I'm going to go. I have to have a vision of what I'm going to do with my life. I have to have a vision of who I'm going to reach, who I'm going to testify to. So again, I ask you this morning, what is your testimony? Who is God to you? What has God done for you? And what is your vision? Where do you see yourself in this work? Amen? Where do you see yourself in this work? We have to have a vision for the future. Because if we don't, all we have is our past. All we have is the past that we, we, we lived in, that we wanted out of. Amen? I don't want to move backwards. <laughs> I don't want to fall backwards. Right? I want to continue moving forward. Amen? Let's have a vision. Let's have a testimony. Let's be powerful today. Right? Let's be powerful with our words. Right? The best way we can reach anybody is by just telling them who God is, what God has done and where I'm going. I know where I'm going, right? Do we know where we're going this morning? Do we know who God is in our life? What God has done for us? Where we plan to go, amen? That's what we need, amen? Let's all stand this morning.